Salams guys, my name is Mohammed Zaud and I'm the co-founder of Toledo Society, which is a podcast network dedicated to English-speaking Muslims across the globe. We've launched a couple of shows and we have several in the pipeline. Our first show, which is called The Transit Lounge, which I host, is currently live and you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. On The Transit Lounge, we interview people who've had a considerable impact on the Muslim world. People who've had positions at the White House, members of parliament, business people and community people. We also have another show that's currently live called Seven Stories, Seven Minute Stories as you drop off your kids to school. We'd love your feedback and if you'd like to find out more, visit ToledoSociety.com. That's T-O-L-E-D-O Society.com. Assalamu alaikum. I'm Khalil Alika. And I'm Zahir Parker. And welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com. So AccidentalMuslims.com is a, a movement, a platform where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose. And we believe that everybody has a story to tell. This podcast hopes to add value. So welcome and enjoy. Accidental Muslims. Uh, asking what are you guys about, but what do you do normally? Well, AccidentalMuslims.com, um, it's a movement. And uh, the idea is to get Muslims, it's aimed at, at Muslim millennials um, in the English language at the moment. It's to get them thinking why they're Muslim. Mm. Why are you Muslim? That's what's mm. accidental Muslims. And, and what are you doing because you're Muslim? Mm. How are you changing the world? How are you benefiting the world? And we seek people, in our case, we, we obviously are Muslim-based, so we're seeking Muslims who are doing impactful work, who is doing meaningful work, mm. and we want to showcase that work to, to an audience mm. in the hope that we inspire other people to do the same. Okay, well, that's good. That's good. And we, we believe strongly in the power of voice and podcasts. Um, that, that podcasting mm. is going to be one of the, um, the, the, the dominant forms of, of modern-day media. Mm. So that is why our primary deliverance is podcast, but we do, have a, uh, we do film our interview as well, which, so this will be on Facebook. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, and welcome back to another episode of AccidentalMuslims.com. Uh, today I've got the great honor um, of sitting with one of the 500 most influential uh, Muslims in the world, um, according to the Muslim 500, which is a think tank in Jordan, and that is none other than uh, Sheikh Dr. Mohammed bin Yahya Ninawi. Uh, he's no stranger to our shores, and nonetheless, I thought it would be apt for me to just give a short introduction uh, for those of us uh, who may not be familiar with his work, um, and this comes uh, from the Muslim 500 uh, think tank. Sheikh Dr. Mohammed al Ninawi is a Syrian American scholar and author based in Atlanta, Georgia, whose lineage is traced back to the Prophet Muhammad, blessings and peace be upon him. Al-Niniwi is considered a muhaddith. In addition to holding a PhD in hadith science, he also holds a bachelor's degree in microbiology from the University of Illinois and a doctorate of medicine degree. He is the founding director of Medina Institute and Seminaries, the Center for Nonviolence and Peace Studies, and the charitable organization Planet Mercy, which have operational activities worldwide. Medina Institute and Seminary is a groundbreaking initiative offering traditional Islamic theological education in a modern setting and is geared towards producing homegrown leaders, thinkers, and scholars. He has been the forerunner in promoting non-violence amongst all people and religions worldwide. Al-Ninawi is also the spiritual guide of the Alawi Husseini Ninawi Zawiyah, a Shadili Rifai Sufi order. So, Sheikh Ninawi, in your own words, who is Sheikh Ninawi? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah. Salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina Rasulullah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa nuala. Thank you, first of all, for uh, being sitting with me and having this conversation. Uh, may Allah Ta'ala bless you and what you do. Um, Muhammad and Ninawi, Muhammad bin Yahya Ninawi, to me, is a uh, human being, a student, and a seeker, um, researcher, strives for, uh, just strives to seek knowledge wisdom and simplicity prioritizes the book and the sunnah believes that spirituality is the is an inseparable aspect of our deen ihsan not just ritualistic iman or islam or theological iman only uh, believes in unconditional compassion towards all malice towards none Maybe that's enough self-praise, I guess. Subhanallah. Unconditional compassion, compassion towards all. 
malice towards them. Subhanallah, very, very profound. I think we could elaborate on every one of those those points further. Subhanallah. So tell us about your youth and and what inspired you. You've, you've given a few adjectives of, of who you are. What inspired you to take the, to take that path, to take the path of Islamic scholarship, researching, pursuing knowledge. Well. Uh, uh, First of all, I have to all credit go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the facilitator of all. But also like the Prophet sallallahu said in Sahih Muslim, those who are not thankful to people are ungrateful to Allah. And uh, one ought to be thankful to my teachers. Uh, when Where I was raised and as I grew up, those teachers of mine, may Allah ta'ala reward them with the highest levels of Jannah, were not perfect people. But they were people who had who have had love for the deen and zeal uh, for the Quran and the Sunnah, and they've instilled that in us in many ways. And I will treasure that and treasure their memories until the day I die. And they've informed us and, and taught us in many ways that one may do many things in life, but the direction that we're all going towards the Creator at the end of the day should never be lost that that this is a temporary dimension and we're going to the next dimension that's everlasting that should never be a way out of your vision or objectives so i think that's what put so and they've brought many examples of imam shafi'i himself born 150 of hijra almost 1400 almost 1300 years ago being a physician himself and a scholar and Imam Ibn Hibban, uh, one of the greatest hadith scholars ever in the 4th century, also being a physician and a scholar. And Imam Abu Hanifa himself, rahimahullah, born year 80 or 90 of Hijra, himself being involved in business and a scholar. So I, they, they told us that it should never be either or. And I think eventually my passion took over my career. So I'm where I, where, I, where I love. I just want to touch on two things that you've mentioned. So I think one thing that I found very profound was your acknowledgement to your teachers and you mentioned that you would you cherish, you will cherish those memories. Uh, could you perhaps um, name one or two of teachers that you had that had a very profound impact and perhaps maybe share one or two of those, of those stories with us? I've had, Allah blessed me with many teachers, but uh, my, as early as my my one father, rahimahullah, who was my first teacher. My uncle, Sayyid Saeed, rahimahullah, was also my teacher. And other people within the family. I was fortunate enough to be in a family where lots of people walked the path of the deen in an academic way and taught it also in an academic way, professionally. So that sort of put me in an environment of always academic debate and where the clash of minds was happening almost every day, but the clash of hearts was not. So being in, an, in a place where scholars come junior and senior and you see clashes of mind happening all the time, and yet you see unity at, at, at the hearts, that gave me an understanding that this deen is a great deen. And, and, and obviously you're traumatized as you grow to be an adult and you see a, a reductionist attitude towards the deen, to reduce this deen into a dogma or to, or to a one way or the highway, or this is the sunnah, anything else is a bid'ah, and if you don't follow, I'm going to terrorize you, or if you don't do intellect, I call these intellectual terrorism and reductionism. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought it's important to go back to basics, and the basics of, the more you know, the less you object, and the less you know, the more you object. And to go to the Prophet ﷺ, Sunnah, which was the authentic Sunnah, that is, which was, which is vast, accepting, tolerant, forgiving, loving, uh, redeeming, and to go back to the very foundation he placed for us: Islam, Iman, and Ihsan not just Islam, so that we don't dwarf the deen into a list of do's and a list of don'ts, and we make it deen. We don't ritualize deen and make it only a set of rituals, but it actually is a journey of transformation from ritual to spiritual, from, uh, from information to transformation. 
so uh, or to realization even ma'rifa rather than ma'lumat which people confuse with ilm and 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 therefore i think all these things shape one's um, one's vision and my teachers many of them uh, and and i sh- i'm afraid to mention one and forget the other and they're all significant and they've all had the greatest things amongst the most most beautiful thing allah ta'ala uh, granted me and of many all many people is that which Allah Ta'ala said in the Quran and the uh, the counter positive meaning of that verse which means whom Allah guides you will find people who guide him the way he will facilitate for him or her to be guided and I think that's that's one of the blessings of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala so may Allah Ta'ala grant all my teachers the highest levels in, of Jannah forgive all of their sins and and their shoes will all will always remain the shining crown on my head I just want to touch on one point that you mentioned um, in, in your explanation where you, you you gave the examples of Imam Shafi and Abu Hanifa people that were physician business people but they were scholars where do you think that you know we find ourselves today where this has not become a norm and almost in a sense that we've we've split knowledge you know when we grow up you know, we often say, okay, well, you know, now that you finish school, uh, you, you're either going to go to Daud Lulum and become a Maulana and that's your path or you go and, and, and you become, you know, professional in, in, in accounting or whatever the, the field may be. So what do you think is the cause for this and, and how do we address it so that, you know, we're able to, to have more people that, that, that just see knowledge as knowledge and, and have that, that combination? I think it began a few hundred years back where we started. So it's not just yesterday. It's okay. a few hundred years where we've separated knowledge into either dini or not dini versus the prophetic wording beneficial or non-beneficial so when we separated dini versus not dini then we've sort of automatically figured that non-dini knowledge is not beneficial which is that's where the confounding took place and then the dean when the dean becomes then a profession it becomes difficult um, because it bec- when it becomes a career, it becomes difficult uh, because you're set by career standards and career expectations. And um, the dean was always, in my view, something that you have to have such passion for to be able to give for free. I don't mean for free, meaning you live from air. It's not what I'm saying to give for free, meaning free soul giving. I think we're in an age today where we've reduced now in the old days as you know a scholar meant did not mean someone who went to school for 10 or 12 or 15 years that did not make someone a scholar uh, or Sheikh, Sheikh Saeed Hawa rahimahullah, used to say that it takes 30 years to make a faqih and I will say maybe it takes about 30 years and about 3 million dollars in, in, in western world investments to make a scholar and the reason for that is because we just need to under, have appreciation of our fields, but we don't anymore. Meaning, today there's a mass confusion between scholars, preachers, students of knowledge, researchers, um, beginner students, public speakers, orators, uh, passionate people, activists, wannabes, mm. and we, they're all lumped up. Uh, in in this issue and today since our focus is based on public speaking skills and charisma that's really what's considered scholarship mm-hmm. and, and and that's that's a problem i think uh, so i think we need to go back to the basics obviously of sure we need a place for students and activists and speakers and public orators and preachers and also we need stu- places for researchers and students and scholars but i think that sort of living in an age where a punchline is what matters and snippets and you know one minute explanation of something over simplification of something a marketing approach an evangelical approach to the deen to islam a marketing approach to islam a packaging approach uh package is what matters market is what matters not content as much i think that that's what's making us suffer and therefore we're we're not studying our dean properly because the dean is about content of information context application and then innovation i don't mean by innovation here bid'ah i mean the dynamic application of the contextual knowledge 
But I think when the content is missing, we don't want have we don't have the content there. The context is going to be out, and as you know, a a text out of context is a pretext, and that's what it's it's a bit of a mess. So I'm glad you, you touched on all of those points because I think that leads us now into uh, the Medina Institute because this year you guys have launched your your accredited degree program, um, and, and I was privileged to to be to be at that launch at, at Masul Quds, and you've announced some 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 scholarships as well for that institute. So 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 tell us about more about the Medina Initiative and what is your vision and, and mission with the Medina Institute? So uh, the Medina Institute came um, as a uh, uh, as an idea that I've had for reviving Islamic study, studies or knowledge. Um, I thought that what we're doing is and, and I will not uh, hide that from you. I first finished Islamic studies in what people call Islamic studies university degree and I went to the United States as such but then I had little I I'm, was always a free thinker in a sense so I had little issues with the com the committee in the community where I was working and uh, my teacher one of my teachers Allah have mercy on his soul said you know what why don't you leave what you're doing now and go do something uh, work and then do this on your own as a passion and hobby and then when I went to study microbiology and then I went to a medical school to study medicine, I realized that what we've been doing in Islamic studies has been substandard as far as depth and breadth of material. And where we've reduced, so we've, we have, right, we have different categories. We have ulum al-Qur'an, ulum al-Sunnah, ulum al-Aqa'id, and al-Fiqh to say the least. Then we have ilm al-Usul. Uh, and then the Arabic language. So we have about five, six different s sciences. And today what we've reduced knowledge to is pretty much jurisprudence, fiqh, what you should do and what you should not do. And not only the fiqh, meaning within the comparative schools, no, within the school, and not within the school only, within a subset of the school, because within the Hanafi school or the Shafi'i school or so, there are also different schools but we've reduced that even to one subset and we've become so cocooned in a sense on this and intolerant towards even within the same school. So I thought, let me go back to the Usul Foundation. So that's why we've made it a degree in Usul Deen and the accreditation we've got from, Alhamdulillah, from the Department of Higher Education is a bachelor's degree in Usul Deen or Usul is a plural of Asl which means the foundation of the Deen. Because while there's many people who know the list of do's and list of don'ts, how to do what you should do in your worship, what you should not do, but I think what we're lacking is the Meccan phase, uh, more than the details of the Medinan phase. And that means, why am I Muslim? Who is Allah Ta'ala? Why is He worthy of worship? Why nothing else is worthy of worship but Him? How do I get close to Him? Why do Sunnis and Shias hate and kill each other? Why are there, not all of them obviously, but why is there hate between Muslim groups from the radical Sufis to radical Salafis and everything in between? Why is there takfir? Why is there inter inter intellectual terrorism mm -hmm. between groups? What I mean by intellectual is dismissing of the other as mm -hmm. non-existent, not just not valid or not just wrong, but as evil, as evil intended. Uh, even even going to, to intentions that these people are out there because they hate the Sunnah on all sides and I'm not making any any exemption for anyone except those whom Allah Ta'ala granted mercy because there's the good, the bad and ugly in every group and in every segment of humans of the human fabric not just our faith so and I figured we need to go back to foundation and the foundation is very basic. Back to basics, that was the call of Medina Institute. And Medina was back to basics. And that is the Quran and the authentic prophetic sunnah. And I'm going to put under authentic many, many things because what we've managed to do, many, many of us, it's not, I always say, it's not the religion that is problematic. It's the religious that makes it, that make it sometimes as such. We. Um, so I thought the foundation must be, we must go back to the foundational sciences and we look at the book and sunnah as sufficient, the authentic prophetic sunnah, I apologize again, uh, without any censoring, 
without anyone saying they can only be valid with my understanding or my teacher's understanding. If you don't take my lineup understanding, then you're no good. And that effectively means the Quran and Sunnah are no good except with my view and my eyes. And, and I thought that the Medina concept was the Quran and Sunnah are good enough on their own. And what, that doesn't mean we dismiss scholarship exactly the opposite. The scholars are our, the stars in our skies. I mean these scholars. Not, not necessarily preachers or students or so. The scholars, Abu Hanifa, Shafi'i, Malik, Ahmad, Sufyan, Al-Bukhari, Muslim, Al-Tirmidhi, Nasa'i, Ibn Hibban, Abu Dawood, right? Al-Daraqutni, these kinds of scholars. And what, what we should do, what the idea was at Medina Institute is that the opinions of the scholars are not the deen. The deen is the book and the authentic prophetic sunnah. The opinions of the scholars are istinas, elucidating on the deen not substantiating the deen. And those are qualified people. Those are big stars. So I think when we look at that, that that's basically the, the premise of Medina Institute. Uh, I'm not going to claim that it is perfect or it has reached the vision or the potential that I think it should. But we're working, alhamdulillah. So, But the point is it is that back to basics, at Medina Institute, we don't teach dogma. We don't indoctrinate uh, we empower meaning here's what the Quran says here's what the Sunnah says and here are the different opinion of the scholars on this issue within Ahlul Sunnah and we don't force the student to adopt one versus the other we explain them as they are and the student chooses in terms of accessing Medina Institute, when I was at the launch, um, it was mentioned that there are, there are scholarships available. Um, are those still available um, for people to apply to for next year? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Yes, I think uh, um, finances or lack, of, lack thereof should never be barrier from knowledge. And uh, the Medina team is committed to go out and ensure that those who don't have the means, uh, for financial means, have the logistical means or the means to study so definitely if you have the aptitude altitude and attitude and you really have passion about studying this dean i would love to invite you to medina institute to study and we will make sure that you study if you don't have the means and what would you say to parents who you know, you, you mentioned, I think, in, in one of your talks uh, that, you know, we, we live in, uh, we've got a limited uh, intellectual uh, thinking and, 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 and we, our aim is, is materialism, something along those lines, if I recall. And, and so many people, you know, are, are concerned about, you know, their material well-being. Uh, they want the children to get into careers and, and so forth, the usual lot, because they, they want the children to make money so they get mad and so forth. So <clears throat> what would your response be to people who say, you know, who... Who, or, or to change them to think, well, hang on a second, you know, yes, you can actually study the dean, and after studying the dean, you can still go into professional studies, or you can pave a way and still sustain yourself while still pursuing, pursuing Islamic knowledge. Absolutely, because we live in a world, like I said, it's no longer, where am I putting my hands and the prayer, above the navel, like the Shafis, or below the navel, like the Hanafis, and which one is more, is more authentic? We're at a level where, as I have been saying for the past 20 years, that the Muslim Ummah will be facing mass slides of atheism internally, mm. um, or the shift from religious to none, and then eventually to anti-religious atheism, just like what happened to our Christian and Jewish mm. brothers and sisters in, huma in humanity in Europe in the 1600s on. I don't think we're different in the sense of human uh, human growth what happened in Europe in the 1600s is repeating itself sure as a parent I worry about my children's uh, dunya future mm. but I mean as a person of faith what worth is if is if I have the whole dunya mm. and I am faithless yeah so a good healthy combination the one-year program that Medina Institute offers or even the three-year program the accredited program that the Medina, Medina Institute offers is not necessary. I don't think it. Like I said, it should not be one, one or either or. You can do the one year, or you can do even the three years, and then go on and do what you want to do. And mm -hmm. in, in the secular world, if there's such a thing, I I think beneficial world beneficial. rather than secular. Yeah, and 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 do good. 
But if you come out, the problem is since we've reduced our religion to emotions and outward things that we do, whether it's looks, whether it's associations, I'm associated with this group, so that means I'm good and I'm safe. So we've reduced orthopraxy to orthodoxy only. And we've separated between both. And we've almost informed people that orthodoxy, me, or orthodoxy automatically exonerates you from orthopraxy. You don't have to do the right thing. You just have to belong mm. to the right group or to believe theoretically the right thing. So long you theoretically adopt the right thing, don't worry about orthopraxy. Man, that, and that's similar to other faith systems out there. So long you accept so-and-so, you're good to go. And um, I think the problem now is even that orthodoxy is in question. Not no more the orthopraxy. The very orthodoxy is in question. And the dean became now dwarfed into a set of emotional things. We just have some emotional attachment to it. And in, in many you, young people's mind, it doesn't make sense to me. But you know, my, my parents are like this. And my, grand, my grandparents like this. And they can't all be wrong. And you know what? At the end, I'm just going to follow them. But, but these guys. <clears throat> and Islam was never meant to be a, a religion of taqlid of blind imitation. Islam was always a religion of personal conviction. It's that conviction of Bilal radiallahu anhu that made him say ahadun ahad despite the severe torture. It's the conviction of Ammar bin Yasser and his family that he watched his own father and mother being killed and they would refuse to even budge. It's conviction that's above any doubt and beyond any uncertainty. That's why the, the program of Usul al-Din at Medina Institute is vital because we want to go back to the Usul or to the Asul, which is the foundation. I'm not saying that fiqh is not important, how to pray or how to worship, but right now I'm at who to worship. Who to worship. We'll talk about how to worship later. I think I would, I would add a point as well for, for, for prospective parents or prospective students. I think one of the amazing things about what you've done in the Benin Institute, because you've got that accreditation, you have an opportunity to actually study the dean and come out with an accredited degree, which you then can take to other institutes and they will recognize that and you can, you can actually fast track your professional studies, if we, if we use that word, your beneficial professional studies. So I think that's an important point um, to, to note and that's what I really like about the institute and other institutes that are doing that, are doing that, that, that type of accreditation. I think um, one of the goals of the Medina Institute is to produce leaders. What are your thoughts in, of, of mentorship in this process? Look, education is a labor of love, first of all. So it's, not, it's, it's, it, it, it's costly, it takes a lot of time, and the results come very late. You don't mm -hmm. see them, in, they're not immediate. But that's what the Prophet ﷺ did. If you remember in Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ stayed 13 years in Mecca, and in those 13, 13 years, he built people. That's education. When he moved to Medina, the people who built, built the masjid and built the ummah. But first was the education. Because, and, and unfortunately, our community, a lot of them understand, but some still don't understand that education is not just the Prophet's primary mission, all the Prophet's primary missions. It's the costliest, most enduring, most difficult, and it takes people who understand the expense of education. And education is expensive. But I always say, ignorance is much more expensive. SubhanAllah, education is expensive, ignorance is much more, much more expensive. I think that's very profound. And then we can move on, I think, which I think, which was, which did happen under the Medina banner, but uh, you've introduced uh, the Book of Love this year. I was very fortunate as well to, to get a copy and get a signed copy and to actually sit in some of the classes um, where, where you've taught this book. Um, and just for the viewers, this is a book of aphorisms um, which the Sheikh then expounds on. And SubhanAllah, every time I just sat in that lesson, I was really just... Um, taken by how deep um, you know this dean goes and, and how much nuances are there and something a statement would just appear just to be a simple two sentences but it's got so much depth so tell us a bit more about about the book of love and what you aim to accomplish so the book of love is uh, a summary of my let's say 35 years um, studying with my teachers um, every now and then through their tarbiyah you know one thing remains so I wrote a note on the side of the book 
And then some of the students, Allah bless them, that studied with me lately, they said, why don't we collect, why don't you collect your notes that you thought that made, you know, sense or were important. So I collected those notes and uh, I put them in this book of love. And to me, it is Islam as I see it. So if I want to tell you what is Islam and if you don't know what Islam is from the book and the Sunnah and you want it to get, you want to get it from a layman's language, the book of love is Islam as I see it. Because it's all from love, about love, for love, to love, with love. And that's what Islam is all about. If, if once you take love out of anything in Islam, it's going to collapse. So, and sometimes again in the, in the ritualistic world that we've driven, we've had such a massive drive in the past 40, 50 years to ritualize, ritualize, ritualize. We've suffered uh, that sort of lot of deprivation from that. So I want to go back to basics again and put Islam as I know it. And, and you know what? Just tell our, sto tell our story. Mm -hmm. This is our story. If you want to tell me what is Islam, I'll tell you it's, Islam is love. This is the book of love. This is what I understand about Islam. I don't know what you're talking about other than that. What would you say is your favorite Quranic verse um, and or hadith and or uh, Islamic story? I mean, favorite makes it seem that they're less favorite. So there isn't anything less favorite okay. for me from the Quran of Allah Ta'ala. Uh, and the Sunnah, the authentic prophetic Sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah Because the book is of Allah Ta'ala is from the all-loving Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And the Sunnah is by the beloved and the loving messenger whom he sent with love, by love, to teach love, with love, for love. So, uh, but there are many verses that stick stick out in my mind, obviously, and one of them is uh, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, Ya ayyuhal nas, inna khalaqnakum min dhakarin wa untha, wa ja'alnakum shu'uban wa qaba'ila lita'arafu, inna akramakum indallahi atqakum. Oh humankind, we've created you all, and made you into males and females and made you into tribes and nations so that you can get to know you can get to know each other he didn't say so you can get to fight each other he didn't say so you can get to hate each other he didn't say so you can get to be superior over each other he didn't say so you can get to be to think that you're better than each other but to build bridges with each other all people yeah and that doesn't make a male better than female or a female better than male. We've made you into males and females. And we made you into ethnicities and tribes and nations. And that tells me like the Prophet Sallallahu hadith in, in which Al-Hakim authenticated, which means you may be different colors, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different languages. But at the end of the day, you're all one people. Humanity. And then Allah seals the ayah by telling us, Inna akramakum atqakum. The most honorable of you, all people, to Allah, are those who have highest, best taqwa. And taqwa to me means positive contribution mm. to self and others. That's what taqwa is. Mm. Taqwa is not fear. Taqwa is positive contribution. Piety, if you want to translate it like this, and I don't know if you can, but in the most honorable amongst you to Allah Ta'ala are those who positively contribute most to self and others. And there you go, the field is open. So I think that's 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 the that's the notion. So I think coming to you mentioned quite a few times the term intellectual terrorism. Um, I'm sure that uh, you know you might have experienced some of that yourself and on your trips to South Africa and the subsequent establishment of the Medina Institute, um, I'm sure you'd have faced your fair deals of criticism along the way, your intellectual terrorism. Um, what, would, what is your response to those people who attack what you do and attack your work? Oh, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. I don't think I'm worth mentioning in that. I don't think that's even, to be honest with you, fair. Uh, first of all, Criticism is important part of any any organization, any growth. 
And I'd like to separate between constructive criticism and destructive criticism. And constructive criticism is, must be absolutely solicited, not just welcomed. Uh, destructive criticism happens by many people. Why? Well, love deprived. So that doesn't stop us. I, I don't think it should. someone like me should even speak, because how can I measure to the prophets of Allah Ta'ala? I mean, not all people agreed that Isa himself, the prophet of Allah, was the best man on earth at, in his time, and that his message was, was the right message. And not all people agreed on Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And not all people agreed even on Ibrahim, the father of all Anbiya. They tried to kill him so many times and call. So I don't think I, 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 I should... Uh, even get there. I think that's expiation of, I hope, astaghfirullah, I don't think I think, I hope it's expiation of some of my sins. Uh, if it's right, I, if it's constructive, I always welcome it. If it's destructive, I ask Allah Ta'ala to guide the people, forgive them. It's part of the process. We can't look at these things. That's, that's negligible. And what, what's happening today is nothing compared to what the people, what happened to the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhu, I mean, how can we even mention that? I'm, I can't even say that. I remember the hadith Sahih Muslim, you probably remember hadith or Bukhari, now my memory doesn't serve me, but it's one of either. Hadith, hadith Sayyidina Khabbab ibn al-Arat radiallahu ta'ala anhu, one of the early Sahaba radiallahu alayhi wa jama'in. When he came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Mecca, the early days, he was maybe the fourth person to be Muslim. And he tells the Prophet Sallallahu why the Prophet Sallallahu was leaning on the Kaaba in the shade. He says, Ya Rasulullah, ala tastansiru lana, ala tad'u lana. Ya Rasulullah, why don't you make dua for us and ask Allah for victory for us? Don't you see what's happening to us, meaning? And the Prophet Sallallahu sat up as in the authentic hadith and tells him, Ya Khabbab, there used to be the nations before you, they would bring a man and put a chainsaw from top of his head, splitting his head in two so he changes. And he doesn't change. And you want everything. Like in you rush to the results. Mm. If Allah Ta'ala uses us in establishing houses of his places where his name is, is glorified, rather than everything else but his name is glorified, places where we can remind people with him rather than establishing places where we remind people with all kinds of figures and organizations and peoples and missions other than his. I think that's a great thing and that's that's a purpose to live for and continue living for. I think it was a very comprehensive answer and I think we, we're going to touch on that topic, uh, not that on, on depth. We, we, we open up the floor um, for the, the audience of AccidentalMuslims.com to ask their questions and, and I think a lot of people took this opportunity and have asked some, some very meaningful questions and these are, these are questions from some of our followers. Uh, so the first one is being in a corporate environment I've been finding it very difficult to work at 8 till 5 and then also to still keep up with trying to get an Islamic education and also trying to incorporate what I know in the field uh, I'm in to contribute to Islam. Are there any tips or practical advice um, that you have for people who have full-time jobs um, and are also trying to create a balance with regards to the above. Yeah, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Not everybody needs to be a scholar to start with. That's, that's, that's one. Number two, information does not mean closeness to Allah. Amassing information doesn't mean you're automatically close to Allah Ta'ala. No. Information is like a catalyst. And those of you who have taken chemistry know that. And a catalyst, what it does, it's not involved in the reaction. It speeds it up or slows it down. So, ilm, in the sense of information, only eases your way if you want to do so or makes it slower. That's all. So, first of all, just acquiring information, that should not be necessarily an objective. Knowing the basic information is. Beyond that, practice what you know. You have enough. Practice what you know. Yani we all heard the Prophet's hadith for Sahih al-Bukhari and Abi Hurairah radiyallahu ta'ala anhu qala qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam man kana yu'minu billahi wal yawmil akhir falyakul khayran aw liyasmut Whoever believes in Allah in the Day of Judgment should have if he has something good to say, say it. If you have nothing good to say, don't say anything. We already know that. What are we waiting for? 
Okay. Another hadith by also Abu Hurairah anhu says, uh, one of you would not be a believer until you love for each other what you love for yourself. Mm. The point is not amassing that info. The point is actually putting it into bringing the information into a realization through an, a, a process of transformation. This is what deen is. All right. Otherwise, it becomes philosophy, not deen. And the difference is philosophy talks about religion. Deen experiences faith. And today we became philosophers, even in our masajid and centers, because we talk about the religion 24-7. There are many people who talk about God. Few talk to him. Allah. We need to move from philosophy, even though they don't call it that way, but it is, descriptively speaking, to now you know, all right, so you're busy. Good good for you. Allah bless you. Allah Ta'ala, may Allah reward you for being a good uh, IT person, a good manager, a good worker, a good taxi driver, a good doctor, a good engineer, a good accountant. If you do a good job, may Allah Ta'ala reward you, and that's a source of good and, and barakah in your life. Acquire basic knowledge. Practice it. The more you practice, the better you are. And uh, you need to take some time off also for yourself, meaning other than because information comes to your mind. But I need you to go. All right. So you practice that. Great. But I need you to take also some time for your heart. And that I'll give you a uh, you have some of the what do you have here in South Africa? A, a, a free number, a toll free number. You have something like that. Like yes. If you do, if you want to dial a big company, you dial a correct, and there will be a charge for that. Yes, there will be a charge. So I will give all your listeners a nice number to call, uh, and uh, that should be done at least whenever they have needs, whenever they have issues, whenever they feel spiritual drought. It's number two 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 three twos. They dial that and two, they're two, there. Two. two two two, and that number goes from anywhere in the world. You don't need even without a phone. It's two a.m. Two rakah and two tears. They stand at 2 a.m. They pray at least two rakah. And in those two rakah, they drop at least two tears. There is no hadith or Quranic ayah in that. But that number answers. And I think that's important. You can acquire all the knowledge you want. If that knowledge does not humble you to stand before Allah Ta'ala alone, one-on-one, -on -one, and collect your whole self at the end of the night onto His presence and ask him and plead to him and beg him and weep and cry your heart out before him and submit and surrender to him, you're living a ritualistic deen. You're living an amassing information kind of deen. Two, two, two. So I think that's an easy number for people. I think you can memorize that. There's no charge. <laughs> and there's no charge. I think that's a bonus. So I think the next question, we, we sort of touched on on, on the question, uh, one question back or two questions back. And in this one, this person wanted to wanted to know um, how do you react to negativity and, and deal with it? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I think we've talked about that. You have to separate first criticism from constructive or destructive. If it's destructive, you just gotta let it go because there are bigger people than you who have been criticized destructively. I mean, they were killed. Uh, if you take the hadith of Al-Bayhaqi to be authentic, which is not, but it's the best evidence we have, we had 124 some thousand prophets. The vast majority of those prophets whom Allah Ta'ala himself commissioned were slaughtered and killed and tortured by the very people they were sent to help. So let's not glorify our struggle. Our struggle is minuscule compared to the struggles of the prophets. Minuscule. And our sacrifices... Forget the suffering, because today the metropolitan youth in any, in most Western countries, even in the in the Eastern, don't know the meaning of sacrifice or sharing. Don't, what do you mean I have to? What do you mean I have to share? They don't understand the the concepts of wafa, faithfulness, to the principles. What do you mean? Well, I don't feel like it now. I mean, I you know, uh, the the concept of servitude, khidmah, for Allah's sake. The concept of ithar, favoring others over you when you are in dire need. Selfless contribution, not selfish contribution. Everybody does that selfish, but selfless contribution. Those concepts are gone. 
in the name of the deen, because the deen, even the very religion, we've personified it so much, we've reduced it to figures rather than facts, currents and organizations rather than deen. So I think it's important to, first of all, take out the negative, uh, the, the negative and look at the constructive. All right, constructive criticism, you got to learn from it. You got to man up to it and learn from it. And that's part of the deal. Um, that's part of growth. And I think it's very important to actually even solicit that. Not only accept it, but you need to solicit it. And that feedback is key to growth before Allah Ta'ala because you don't see in yourself what others may see. And that's why Allah Ta'ala ordered us in the Quran, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Ya ayyuhaladheen amin, taqullaha wa kunu ma'a sadiqeen. Have taqwa of Allah and be with those who are transparent. Why transparent? Because they reflect you. They tell you, all right, you know what? It's coming from a place of love. What you're doing, son, is wrong. And you're not going to get away with it. Because if you think you're going to get away with wrong, your problem is not getting away with evil things. Your problem is thinking Allah is not just or present. And He is. So, why do people get affected by negativity? Because they feel their perception matters to people. If they don't, I'm not saying you don't you should not care about people. You should absolutely care about people. But their perception of you is not what you should care about. You should care about them, not about their perception of you. You've got to check yourself with the Quran and the authentic prophetic sunnah. That's where loyal, your loyalty comes. That's if you understand. Now, if the Quran and the prophetic sunnah, that's the muhkam. What if it's mutashabih? What if there are multiple views to the same ayah or to the same hadith? Meaning one hadith may mean two things. One ayah may mean two things. That's where you have to stand back and allow the academics to be involved and not accept one versus the other, even if you practice one versus the other, since it's not muhkam, since it's not sealed. All right. So that's sort of where you say, okay, well, bismillah. So. I think if you check yourself to the Quran and the Sunnah as a standard and you seek to please Allah Ta'ala, not anybody else, you don't worry about anybody else, anybody else's perception. It doesn't mean you neglect them or you put them down or you say, oh, who cares about you? No, no, no. You love them. You give them love. But their perception of you is not what determines your salvation. So worry about people, not their perception. Absolutely, because the only, the only time people get hurt by other people's statements is if they care so much about what they think of them. Give me a break, Sheikh. Give me a break. I mean, you want me to tell you the story of Luqman? Do we have time? Um, yep. Well, let's, if we hold that thought and maybe we finish the All other right. two questions and then if we have time, I'll note that we can come back to the, to the story of Luqman. Okay, so the, 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 the next question somebody wanted to know was... Um, how do we deal with differences in the ummah, especially between the scholars? Scholars themselves, and here, I, again, with all the respect, I'm going to take a bit uh, of a conservative approach to scholarship. Uh, I don't view somebody who studies bits and pieces of everything as a scholar. I don't view somebody who studies bits and pieces of everything for 15, 20 years as a scholar, mm. unless he's a genius. It takes about 30 years in one specific field to be a scholar in the field. You're a student, yes. I'm a student. I've been studying this, these sciences for 35 years. I don't, I'm not a scholar. I'm not telling you I'm not a scholar because I'm trying to be modest. Allah is my witness. I'm not a scholar. I'm not a scholar in the sense that I can tell you I am an authority or, or a master of a discipline entirely. I would be lying to you if I tell you that. Sure, I'm a student of knowledge know bits and pieces of some some sciences and I know maybe a little bit more in one or two disciplines at a scholarship level meaning comprehensive istiqra'i authority mastership no no I used to hire for the university where I work meaning in medical in, in, med, in the medical field and I would hire teachers also for to teach the students some students were undergraduate, obviously, and we even had uh, graduate students. And they would come to me, let's say, with a PhD in medical physiology. 
and uh, that's human medical physiology, human physiology. If his P so that means he's done a bachelor's and a master's and a PhD in the same line. He did not come from business administration and did a PhD in human physiology. And that means about 12 years of studying. And then you ask him what kind of human physiology you know best. What field? Adrenal, respiratory, cardiovascular, neuro? What do you know, son? And then when you hire them, you don't hire them as professors. And you don't call them scholars. After 12 years in the very same discipline. Now, he doesn't know necessarily all the anatomy. He doesn't know the embryology. He doesn't know the histology. He doesn't know the necessarily the uh, other the, the, the pathology as a pathologist. He doesn't know the anatomy as an anatomist. He doesn't know the pharmacology as a pharmacologist. He knows the field, one field within, within the discipline. And um, you hire them as beginners, beginner researchers. After many, many years of working, they become, assist, they become assistant, they become associate, professor. Then they become professors. But not all professors are experts. You know that from universities. Many professors are just average scholars. After what now? It's been, what, 12 years PhD, and then you put another 10 years of in the field. Now they're professors. It's going to take you at least that. So 20 years in the field. Not everybody is... A, with, and that's the field of teaching and properly producing academic work. Not just after four years of studying, putting the books down and then practicing. Then some of those professors become experts. Some of them become authorities. So that's scholarship. So with all the respect, I mean, I don't consider preachers, while their role is very important, scholars. I don't consider activists scholars, it's public speakers. I don't care how long the beard is or how big the imama is. They're good people, maybe better than all of us. But scholarship is one thing, and students and wannabes and whoever wants to, whatever it is, that's a different story. All right, so that's one. It, within scholarship, I don't think there's differences much, to be honest with you. There are, but it's not vicious. It's not that negative. There are, because they're human beings still. But when you look at the differences between a Shafi'i, for example, Abu Hanifa, rahimahumullah ta'ala, Shafi'i Malik. Malik was one of the teachers of a Shafi'i. When Imam Shafi'i wrote a book against his teacher, Kitab al-Raddi ala Malik, the book of refuting Malik. Do you see any disrespect? You see academic clash of minds, no. not clash of hearts. But where do the clash of hearts, where do inciting hate and, and, and sort of belittling the others and, and, and casting them out as enemies of the deen and enemies of the prophets and enemies of the sunnah and enemies of whatever it is and, and all this, everyone reflects their essence and tarbiyah anyway. Everyone reflects their education anyway. Everyone reflects their own akhlaq and their own upbringing anyway. But where do you find that? You find that with the preaching world or the speak, public speaking world, even if people call them scholars, which usually the case nowadays, because anyone who has the looks today and has the charisma and public speaking skills is called a scholar. So in the activism, you'll see that because these people are driven by the market and the numbers and, and all that stuff and the effect they want to leave on the people rather than the, the continuous educational standard that they need to bring about. So I, I don't think there's going to be a, a difference in the scholars. You might say, well, how do I tell, you know, which one? Well, I mean, what field are you are you in, a scholar of, son? I mean, I get some people, we hire some people also in the, in the, in the other field. What, what, what are you a scholar of? You can't tell me I have a PhD or a couple of PhD and I am a scholar in everything. What are you a scholar of? What are you? Tafsir? Hadith, what madrasa of tafsir? Hadith, what hadith field? Because there's many fields in the hadith sciences that take you the whole life. You can't tell me you know everything about hadith because you're not al-Bukhari. Even al-Bukhari, in, in Ilm al-Rijal, he says Ali ibn al-Madini, in al-Ilal, he says uh, Fulan, etc. Not all the things in the hadith. He says, I never belittled myself. Al-Bukhari himself in, in the ilm of so-and-so, al-jarh wa ta'adil except in front of Yahya bin Ma'in. Or in ilm al-ilal instead of uh, Ali ibn al-Madini. 
one of the people who were present also at that time. He says, I, am, I found myself little before them. What do you know? So what a scholar of what? Because if you tell me a scholar of all Islamic disciplines, you're insulting my intelligence. And you're insulting, you're, you're insulting the, the disciplines of the faith with all the respect. It's an insult. It's, it's, not, it's not a praise. It's like me telling you, I'm a doctor who knows, who knows I'm a master in pediatric, I'm a scholar in pediatric, pediatrics and uh, gynecology and obstetrics and, and uh, oncology and hematology and every single discipline out there. And you're going to look at me saying two things. You're either really, uh, if I give you the benefit of the doubt, you're a, you're a genius or you're crazy. So we got to slow down with this you, with title mania stuff. And, and, and I think we, it's, it's good that people research and just like we demand in the secular field, if I may say that, we demand continuous medical education, we demand uh, proper academic work. Public speaking should not be the, in lieu of that, that academic work is what should be present. I think, though, perhaps you've clarified the idea of scholars, but I mean, there, there are differences. So it's obviously not coming from the scholars, but we do have some differences. So maybe just briefly, how, how should we go about in our, in our lives when we do encounter people or intellectual terrorists, as you've said, or, or even if people just have good hearts and, and, and there may be a bit of tension that is there? Oh, no, I think even those who intellectually terrorize others, I hold them to have good intentions. Okay. I don't want to judge people's intentions. But that does, that's not justification for what they do. Even people who commit real atrocities, in their mind, they're doing a good thing. Some of them, anyway. That doesn't justify what they do. So uh, that needs to be uh, good intentions by themselves are not good enough. So what do we do when we have these things? The basic thing is go back to the book and the authentic prophetic sunnah. And how do you do that? Demand. All right. And also not issue judgment until you ask the other people whom, whom are, uh, they're claiming to be wrong. Two things. Don't tell me what the mashayikh say first. Yeah, I know your elders are very important to you, just like I said mines are. But first tell me what my Lord said, what my prophet authentically said, and how authentic is this, authentic, uh, is this hadith. Because once we go into the weak things, in my view anyway, weak stuff has to be weak and has to remain on the side entirely. Right now, we're in a level where the village is no longer burning the houses. So, book and sunnah. We disagree? Great. What did Allah say about this? And what did the sunnah say about this? And the sunnah, as far as authenticity, is it really authentic? Is there any countering of this? Is there any qualifying of this? And that should not be a big deal. Once it becomes he said, she said, you're lost. Because it becomes my people versus your people and my shuyukh versus your shuyukh. And we need to get out of that. What sh that's why I said at the beginning, what the shiuch or what the big scholars say is for elucidation, not substantiation. It doesn't matter who they are. Even Al-Bukhari, Muslim, Abu Hanifa, Shafi'i, Malik, all of them, Allah Ta'ala be pleased with them. What they said is not for substantiation. No ta'sisan, isti'nasan. For elucidation of the substantiation. Substantiation is exclusively Allah Ta'ala Ta and through the authentic prophetic sunnah of his messengers. If we go back to the book and the sunnah, Sheikh, I know this is, you can say, everybody says that. Sure. Uh, but I think we can limit it to the book, the authentic prophetic sunnah. What if there is something in the book and the sunnah that's seen differently, two, two, two different ways? Well, that's what it is then. Right? Meaning, it is okay to look at one thing and see it in two different ways. If I tell you what am I holding now and draw it, you'll say you're holding your iPhone and you can draw what you see. And if I tell him, can you draw what you're seeing, and he will draw also my iPhone, iPhone. but every one of you is looking at a different, you'll draw a different view based on what your perception is, but at the very same thing. What Islam has taught us and what the Prophet ﷺ taught us, that it is okay to look at one thing and see it in two different ways. But I need to get to that, meaning I need to get that if it's not muhkam in the Quran and the Sunnah, then if it accepts multiple visions or multiple perceptions, I may be passionate about one, but hey, he's not quoting uh, Buddha here. Mm. He's not relying on uh, the guy in the streets. He's relying on the Quran. He just sees it differently.
Okay, our, our final question from my side, just um, one of our uh, followers wanted to know, just very briefly, um, what is your fondest memory of, of the late Sheikh Rashid Brown, I love most in him? Allah, Allah. Allah. Uh, Sheikh Abdul Rashid Brown was my brother, and he is my comrade in arms, I call him. Like all the many brothers who uh, have been with us, this, this, because this is a struggle, da'wah is a struggle. Allah says, subulana." Da'wah is not meant to be easy. Da'wah is not meant to be received with flowers. Prophets themselves, not us, which are nothing. Prophets themselves were not received with flowers, though they were aided by angels. And they were aided by books and miracles. We, with our sins, uh, Allahu Akbar. So the people who go for da'wah are people who, uh, who these moments of struggles and being in the trenches, uh, I consider Sidi Sheikh Abdul Rashid Brown, Rahmatullahi Ta'ala Alayhi wa Radiyan, may Allah Ta'ala grant him the highest level of, of Firdaus, is one of my comrades in arms, Rafiq Silah, Rafiq Dab. Uh, he's a comrade in, in, in struggle and we struggled together many times to bring this da'wah and negotiated many things and talked about many issues and, and things. He and many others here in South Africa, in the US, in the UK, wherever Medina is, and, and in Canada, uh, in Malaysia, in Norway, uh, in India, uh, in Malaysia, in Australia, in many places where Medina has been working, alhamdulillah, we had lots of people who were comrades in arms. The struggle is not easy. Sheikh Abdul Rashid gave everything uh, in that struggle, and I enjoyed him, his company. Uh, it reminds me with, you know, Sayyidina Hamza radiallahu anhu, who was that comrade in struggle to the Prophet It reminds me with many of the Sahaba radiallahu anhu who went on and you could do whatever you want to them but they lived their principle when they died they died on their principle so may allah ta'ala gather sidi sheikh abdul rashid brown with the highest level of, of in the highest level of firdaus with the anbiya and the siddiqeen and the shuhada and the salihin and keep us faithful on this struggle until we meet the prophet sallallahu ta'ala wasallam unchanged so I think our, our, our final question then uh, would be, if this is your last day um, on earth, what would your parting advice be? Worship him as if you're seeing him. Because he's seeing you. You're always with him. Even if you don't realize it. And he's all loving of you. Give and you will live. You don't give, you will not live. And I mean by giving here, not just money. Give. If you don't have anything to give, your smile is an act of giving. You got to give. The more you withhold, the more you will be withheld from. In every aspect. Knowledge, time, money, resources. Smile, love everything and never sell never sell your principles never never for sale no matter what happens don't let anyone scare you by any other than Allah don't let anyone terrify you by their might Allah's might is bigger love Allah love people Shazakallah Sheikh for joining accidentalmuslims.com you certainly are an ocean of knowledge um, and, and we really appreciate uh, you giving some of your time. We know you have a very busy schedule to share some of these very profound, profound wisdom. So Jazakallah Khairan. May Allah bless you and your family and, and, and make your work easy and, and it may just grow from strength to strength. Allahumma ameen. Shukran lakum. Jazakumullah khairan jazaa. Salams guys. My name is Mohammed Zaud and I'm the co-founder of Toledo Society, which is a podcast network dedicated to English speaking Muslims across the globe. We've launched a couple of shows and we have several in the pipeline. Our first show, which is called The Transit Lounge, which I host, is currently live and you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. On The Transit Lounge, we 
interview people who've had a considerable impact on the Muslim world. People who've had positions at the White House, members of parliament, business people, and community people. We also have another show that's currently live called Seven Stories, seven minute stories as you drop off your kids to school. We'd love your feedback. And if you'd like to find out more, visit ToledoSociety.com. That's T-O-L-E-D-O Society.com. So that's it for today's show. We hope we added value. We hope you enjoyed it. But most of all, we hope our guest has inspired you to live with purpose. Don't forget to send us your suggestions via info at accidentalmuslims.com. If you know anybody out there that is inspiring, that's leading, that's living with purpose, please uh, do contact us. And remember, feedback is our oxygen. So follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I hope you enjoyed. God bless. Assalamu alaikum.